For August 30th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 687. Super threatening fish of an unclear nature. You're going to listen to a podcast. It's a podcast you've listened to before. Talking about things that you've heard before and thought before. Just follow the sound of my voice and follow the sound of the voice of Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete, how are you? You know, Matt, I was just thinking that every moment in history is like a bead in a necklace. In what sense, Pete, is every moment in history like a bead in a necklace? <laughs> you know, if you put a lot of them together, then you get a necklace. Wow. Moments, yeah. moments uh, that's in, in Equus, Peter Schaefer wrote, moments snap together like magnets, which is, I mean a is much more can... <laughs> interesting and profound way to talk about it. I'm sorry. What you mean is that, yeah? Oh, you, you, I yeah. mean is that you can purchase history for $12 at a Francesca's in your local shopping mall. Oh, that's good. And it will be just as good as one that was much, much more expensive somewhere Wait, else. What's a Francesca's? Is it like a Claire's? Sort of, but nicer, oh, I guess, it. or smaller. I don't know, a little it's bit more banana, hippie-ish. It's Banana Republic, it's banana Republic to, uh, to Claire's Old Navy. I think we are the podcast people should listen to to learn about <laughs> <laughs> like juvenile and young adult jewelry shops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Places well, to buy your sister's Christmas presents, which you did in the past in one of those necklace beads that hangs like his. We should explain what we're doing. This Matt. was a parody of, uh, of the film Reminiscence starring yes, Hugh Jackman. Uh, and we are doing, uh, we are doing, um, we are doing the overthinking podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are the only two people in the world. And we know each other, and there are no other important relationships in our life. <laughs> it's it's actually unclear whether anyone exists besides Pete and me. Yes, and yes. a small, you know, uh, and and a uh, you know discontented proletariat. And, uh, you know, some robber barons or, or yeah. something like that. No, it's just, uh, it's just you and me and alcoholic Tandy Newton yelling at us about our life choices. I, I am looking, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I am, uh, I'm Matt Rather. That is Pete Fenzel. We are doing Reminiscence, the, uh, the film by Lisa Joy, uh, written and directed by, um, Lisa Joy is one of the executive producers of Westworld, um, so you know it's got those cowboy robots. <laughs> I got your cowboy robots. I got your cowboy robots. And that um she she also happens to be married to Jonathan Nolan who is uh who also works on Westworld. So they they work on Westworld together. Jonathan Nolan is the the brother of Christopher Nolan. So it will be very uh it will be very awkward at family Thanksgiving when uh she gets sued for doing like budget inception. Um, you know, that, oh, man. You know, but that like, uh, that this is a film, this is a film with Hugh Jackman. And before we say anything about the film, um, I, I just want to point out that this film bombed like this film, uh, I think opened to something like $2 million of box office. Uh, and that is, that's impressive today like i actually i sort of appreciate that do you know what i mean mm, like, like elaborate yeah well i want i i feel like i you don't see a lot of stuff that just bombs 
you know, really, you don't see a lot of stuff that, um, it just doesn't do well. It seems all, uh, it calculated, you know, uh, it seems all like, like engineered to, to gross billions and billions of dollars, you know, and, and even, I don't know, like, um, there was a set of, uh, there was a set of, of films like, uh, F9, um, A Quiet Place 2, uh, Black Widow, you know, and, 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 uh, The Suicide Squad, right? Well, it, I guess Suicide Squad was R rated and didn't do quite as well, but that, the, like, the, um, these were the like oh movies are back movies they were all star driven they were all like super successful um relative to expectations and they it was like oh and it seems like the uh, like oh you know the the covid is over everything's okay now movies are movies are back and it seems like this is all the the only narrative that we get these days right and like things things underperform um, I suppose sometimes, but then there's always this like, well, we're actually, we're in it for the IP, right? Like we're, this is going to stream. This is a long tail movie. And the, the, uh, the theatrical box office is, uh, not the, the most important, not the most important thing. No, this movie bombed. Oh yeah. This like, movie straight up. like bombed. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, it, that's that's kind of a beautiful thing to see, you know. I I wish it had been better. <laughs> that's the thing, though, because you've turned this movie on, right? Just to interject, you know, you turn this movie on thinking, man, I bet this movie is so underappreciated. No one went to go see it because of the Delta variant. And then you get to like the third line of dialogue, and you're like, oh no, this movie bombed, <laughs> right? Like this is this is this is a bomb. You you can tell, right? You can tell just from watching the beginning of it that it's sure. a bomb. So, but anyway, sorry. So I, I I just want to like put some hard numbers yeah. uh, behind this. This movie um, reminiscence opened last weekend to one. Point nine million dollars. It opened wide. It opened in like what would have been a very wide opening uh, for any film, even pre-COVID, on three thousand two hundred sixty-five screens. That that is to say, showings um, right. of this film for an average, a per-screen average of about six hundred dollars per screening of this film. Um, just by contrast for the same week, because it's hard to get comps because historical data doesn't necessarily help us because we, we are in the aftermath of that championship season. Um, Paw Patrol, the movie opened the same weekend. It made 13.1 million dollars on a similar number of screens, 30, uh, almost 3,200 screens for a per screen average, a much more respectable, uh, 4,129. Uh, per screen average. And if you assume that, uh, if you assume that a ticket is what, 10 bucks, ticket, ticket is 20 bucks. That's, you know, you're looking at what is that, two, 200 people per, per screening of, of Paw Patrol. And right. this is, you know, this is like, like four people <laughs> went to see yeah. reminiscence. Um, we didn't watch it last week. We were, you know, we were a little busy, but we watched it this week. Um, and uh and oh, oh, oh goodness can you just can you just equip uh, i feel t- i feel i feel cold i feel like i've been underwater can, can, can you acquaint people with what reminiscence is even about 
So, okay, I actually had this conversation with my wife, and one of the things that amuses me about this movie is how long into the description of the movie you can go without introducing the core premise uh-huh. because there's so much that's happening, right? Uh, there's so much that's happening in the background of this movie as described by many, many, many monologues, right? Many voiceovers by Hugh Jackman. Definitely uh, definitely yeah. a tell-don't show uh, strategy employed Oh, yeah, this is this full-on whole... tell-don't show. Yeah. This, this movie has lore dumps like a truck 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 right <laughs> uh, and so okay so in the not too distant future does it say what year matt uh I'm, I'm not sure i'm not sure so in the not too distant future there is a climate crisis right and because of the climate crisis there are there's a huge rise in sea levels and there's a huge surge of refugees that move from the areas of the developed world, developing world into the developed world. And there's a war where the developed, well, we know, all we really know is that the United States was a party in this war. And I think some of the other places were involved too. And, uh, and they fought back the, uh, the refugees who were trying to escape the flooding uh, in, a, in a very bloody conflict that lasted for a long time and led to large-scale ruination of society in general, which we don't really see. And Hugh Jackman, uh, Hugh Jackman fought in this war. Yeah, Hugh Jackman uh, because is this is a film. Yeah. This is a movie with Hugh Jackman, and uh, yes. Hugh Jackman fought in this war in yes. the Gulf, by which I take him to mean not the Persian Gulf, but the the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, that's the joke that they were telling. Yes. Yeah, it's like I fought in the Gulf of mexico in the near future because of the climate crisis right Right. and someone's like i fought on the western line which you know is going to be like you know the mississippi river or like you know new mexico and and uh arizona or something um and so the movie takes place not mostly in miami which has been uh submerged right the the film opens in a jetson-esque on skyscrapers above a, an uninhabitable environmental disaster, right? Uh, which is these uh, high rises that are above this water, the ocean that has come in and swamped Miami. I mean, I, I chuckle because there's all sorts of ways in which I'm sure this would not work, right? That like 20 years after the ocean has rushed in to surround your city, you probably don't have like people living in apartments above the ocean, right? Um, or like you don't have like electricity. Right. Stuff like that. It might be hard to have these things. So at any rate, uh, there are parts of Miami that have dams and sort of levees. Right. Where which are sort of permeable or don't really work and keep out the sea. But it's wet. (laughs) And then there are parts of Miami that are dry. Right. And the rich people live in the dry parts of Miami and the poor people live in the wet parts of Miami. By the way, nobody in Miami speaks Spanish. Apparently, everyone's either British or Australian, <laughs> which is just like who the actors are. But uh, but yes, it's um, it's it's this sort of dystopian Miami that's kind of been devastated uh, and has these huge problems of inequality. Uh, Hugh Jackman is a uh, for a veteran who has become a private investigator who contracts both with the city government, the municipal government and with private clients. Uh, And he uh, has a machine that people dunk themselves in a tank and then they relive memories in their lives. And the machine projects the memories onto a hologram stage so that you can watch 
the memories that they lived through. It's a that's, beaded, that's it's a beaded hologram stage. It's like, yeah, yeah. have you ever seen those like, like fiber optic, uh, you know, light, light up toys where it's, you know, the, 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 all the little star pinpricks of starlights or like, uh, or a rope light. You know, like, uh, this, these are very thin rope lights that can light up in, in different colors. They're, they, they have hue, Phillips hue, uh, uh, smart bulbs in in the future and they, they light up in different colors. And so, you know, uh, lighting up concordantly produce, uh, what looks like a three dimensional image of a, of a thing, but that, uh, but that Hugh, Hugh Jackman can also walk in and kiss it, uh, at will. Right. Yes. It is important that there are many things in this movie that Hugh Jackman can kiss. Hugh Jackman kissing things is a big part of this movie. Uh, he only kisses a couple things, mostly the same person over and over again. But, uh, <laughs> this movie, similar to Watchmen, uh, you, you might suggest that it might be a little bit like Total Recall. It's a lot like Blade Runner. Uh, in, in, but it also doesn't really go as hard sci-fi with it as you might expect, given the pedigree and the premise. Uh, but the, the, the civilization is everything's so bad, right, that nobody wants to focus on the future and everybody has become obsessed with the past. So there's a lot of recreational, palliative, right, other sorts of uses for this technology, which was developed for interrogation, where somebody can guide you through memories mostly of their choice that you lived in your life. Right. And so like we see there are, there are sort of old people who are sealed up in pods so they could relive their youth. And then there are grizzled cops who are interrogating people uh, to sort of find out the things that even they missed in their own memory. Uh, And the movie is mostly a noir esque. It's noir ish. It's, it's, I mean, it's more noir than noir. It's like a, Whose line is it anyway? Caliber noir story about a femme fatale who goes in a private detective office with like some innocuous reason to be there, dressed to the nines for no reason, right? And who? Uh, well, she just came pri- from. Yeah. She just came from work as a vamp. Yes. She's, she's still she's still wearing her uniform. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, and and the detective, of course, is drawn in to help her, but doesn't trust her and falls in love with her, but gets double crossed by her. And there's this very uh, kind of beat by beat noir story about this mysterious woman that uh, that Hugh Jackman sees walk into his office one day. Right. Uh, and uh, and of course. In Miami, where the poor people live, where it's wet because all the water is outside and also because the rich people are in the place where it's dry. And then also because everybody who doesn't look like the right kind of people, you all have to know that you aren't allowed here. But all you people know that you were the ones who did all this. This is like constantly being regurgitated over the course of the movie in these like long monologues and dialogues where like everybody is constantly reminding you of the history of the moment. But really, it's a very kind of straight down the middle uh, noir story which is framed interestingly with the music of Rogers and Hart. Matt, Matt, did you have anything you want to say about the music in this movie? Like the music that sort of fills its atmosphere. It, it is, I would describe it as rocketeer esque in its regard for like the early 20th century. It's sort of the, um, yeah. It's, and it's so interesting that this is the, this is the period that people are, are nostalgic for, uh, that they choose to make like, to make people nostalgic for. I mean, the, the song is Where or When, that is the, the kind of the 
central song for Hugh Jackman of this this whole thing, you know, and it it seems we've talked about that like this before and laughed before and loved before, but who knows where or when that that one and that's like uh, you know the old musical theater song is is it Rogers and Hart? I was trying to to figure out who was uh, who had not only it. is it Rogers and Hart, but it's from a show I've seen. Oh really? <laughs> it's from Babes in Arms. Have you ever watched Babes in oh, Arms? Oh yeah, Babes Babes in Arms. She calls it's a ba- gold Babes mine. in Armor. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Babes in Arms is a musical from 1937. So the character of Hugh Jackman is listening to music that is like a hundred years old, right? Uh, at least. At oh least yeah, and that's that. It's Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. It's a real like let's put on a show type of yes! show. It's not an. It's not a sort of sad nostalgic show. This isn't like a little night music here. It's like oh man, we got to get the kids together and put on a show so that we can save stuff, you know, and like. Uh, um, it's where it's where the lady is a tramp comes from. It's where my funny Valentine comes from. It's where I wish I were in love again comes from. Uh, right. So it's like, it's got all of these, it's from back in the day when the big source of pop music was Broadway musicals. Sure. Right. Like the sort of, the sort of nexus event of that. is like West side story is the last big one in this right? sort of Although, near future, whoever, Hugh, whatever Hugh Jackman's age is in this near future, you know, after like allow for the climate crisis to take shape, allow for the, you know, uh, world shaping war. Yeah. Uh, right, to, right. to take place, right? And then kind of back into when he would have been born and when his grandfather would have been born. Like, you or I probably would have been his grandfather, you yeah. know? And so when yeah. we sang the music of our youth, our youth, our youths, <laughs> our youths, we would have been singing like Michael, we've been singing like Thriller, you know? Yeah. Or we would have been singing like, you know, Slippery When Wet or something like that. Like, uh, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been and singing, um, you know, songs of of our grandparents, uh, youths, or even their parents, um, youths. Uh, that that like, um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it is, it is a weird thing, and so it definitely, it definitely says that that they're kind of going for a vibe. You know, and like the the speakeasy kind of style of the the supper club that uh, she sings in Rebecca Ferguson's character. Um, sings in like it's it's definitely it's going for a vibe and it doesn't really it it for for a a movie with with so much world building it's not really that interested in validating its world building by standards of like you know making sense in any kind of yeah it's a kind of movie where you feel like it should be like Vin Diesel in it like like as in like. A, 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 and the thing, the thing is, I thought about that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's got Wolverine, so that's close enough, right? And he's better than Vin Diesel, uh, you know. Perish the thought, but uh, but just like it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, it's like I Frankenstein, right? Like in the future, there are angels and monsters and huge corporations that are in league with Satan, right? And granted, that's less plausible than the idea of Miami experiencing like global warming. But the point is the sort of really heavy, elaborate, complicated crisis that is not shown on screen, right? It's like we're, we're showing the, it's, it's the, uh, it's the rain of fire effect. Huh. You remember rain of fire, you know, with, uh, uh, with the, with the big fire dragons and stuff or, well, I yeah, where we're like the, all the marketing for rain of fire uh. was, it was going to be about dragons, like fighting modern militaries and oh, like attacking that, major cities. Was that not what it was about in the end? No, have you oh, not sure. seen it? No, I, I didn't. I've seen the marketing though. 
No, no, no. The marketing for Reign of Fire, and this is a 2000s Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale movie. Uh, so only it's sort of there's six degrees of Christopher Nolan in all of this is the marketing was all that that dragons were going to come out of the earth and fight the major militaries of the world and, and result in a sort of Independence Day-esque apocalypse moment. But the movie takes place after it's over in a small British village, I believe. I don't even know where it is. Maybe West Virginia or something, where just everything is ash and there's like one small dragon. And so it's like one bunch of people wearing thick sweaters with washed out dirty faces trying to band together and figure out how to deal with one CGI dragon, right? It's not like, it's like, oh man, that great war that happened sure was something, you know, now let's get to the cheap stuff. Do they make the, uh, do they make the uh, friends? Do they make friends with the dragon? Yeah. They don't solve their problems with violence. It's actually, it's a, it's really more of a beat for beat. Uh, It's a, it's really more of a, of a negotiation textbook told through allegory. No, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's, there's definitely dragon fighting that takes place, but uh, maybe even slaying. It's been a long time, but the point being like, okay, I need three, I need three chests of treasure or I'm going to burn your house down. Well, Mr. Dragon, that's, (laughs) that's going to be really hard, hard for us to get. Dragon can't talk. It makes the whole relationship a lot more difficult. But I hear what you're saying. You're thinking of it more of as a Smaug, like horde dragon, who's just trying to get started, like trying to get on his feet in a new town, right? And he's right. like, "Look, you know, I'm just saying that your position vis-a-vis my fire breath would be much improved if I were to leave this room with four chests full of gold right now." <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not making. I'm not saying anything. It's just the implication, right? Uh, but but I'm just saying that reminiscence feels like that. it feels like Elysium. Uh, if you saw the Matt Damon movie, I think we podcasted about it, right? Uh, yeah, we did. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess like it, but it, the whole, I the whole thing with this movie, like Hugh Jackman is as essentially a, a Sam Spade type of character, right, or a Philip yeah, Marlowe yeah. type of character, a yeah. a like, Humphrey Bogart type of character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that like he's a a noir private eye, like, and that he's going to get sort of bamboozled by this dame. You know, but and go through these beats. I'm sorry. Quick, quick digression, Pete. In in yeah, the sure. in the seventh grade, seventh grade honors English, honors English, Pete, honors. Yeah. Uh, honors. One of our one of our like big culminating assignments was a creative writing project where we were meant to write a mystery story. Okay. You know, a, like a detective story where there was like a crime and it got solved. And right. le- you actually could think of that. That's actually a pretty good challenge for someone who's like 12 years old. Um, because it's, uh, you know, you gotta like, how do you structure it? You know, and getting, yeah. getting, getting people at that age to think about, about structure is like, uh, is hard to do. And that's a good way to do it. So we had this kind of paint by numbers outline formula you know that like okay so the the an unexpected incident happens and then your hero goes to uh goes to investigate and you know discovers something they didn't expect and then they seek help from a you know we had this like a kind of paint by numbers thing and and you know a few of them at the end a few a few people read theirs um and like people you know made these fun little stories out of this out of this formula Th- that formula that my eighth, seventh grade honors english teacher gave to us is superior in construction <laughs> 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 to uh to the plot um to this pl- the the plot of this movie that like just just unwinds like a clock we're not interested in linear time 
is a thing that Hugh Jackman <laughs> actually says. It's like, you're, you're late. I think we've moved beyond linear time. Um, <laughs> and that, that, uh, like, um, so, you know, the, the story of him sort of falling for this girl and like w- what it means for him to have his like tough guy exterior pierced by love and, and you know, the cost and like what, what he's giving up, like what it costs him uh, when he is driven to obsession to like track her down and figure out what happened. Um, what happened with her. This is almost uh, criminally underdeveloped. Right. Like the, the beats, the beats happen and you understand what they're meant to be, but they're not earned in any, um, you know, in any meaningful respect. That said, every side character in this whole movie gets a Russian novel of, (laughs) (laughs) of monologue to like explain why they, you know, um, his, his assistant Watts, uh, yeah. like has a daughter. Um, yeah. and it's, it's mentioned several times that, uh, she's estranged from her daughter and that yeah. like, you know, and, and then it's brought up in a, in a moment when he's trying to be mean to her, like, well, you ran out on your daughter and it's like, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. And then, uh, you know, it's implied that, uh, that she reconciles with her daughter at the end. None of this matters to the story of the movie. This <laughs> like has, not even a little bit. this has zero impact <laughs> on like, like literally zero on the forward momentum of, you know, what is purportedly the, the main plot of this movie a crooked cop that that he runs into like goes off for like 15 minutes on you know (laughs) just the you know the dynamics of the crooked cop drug trade in post-apocalyptic new orleans they even use an imaginary drug like like it's called what bark or brack or bark barka baka baka right or bark yeah because bark is the root beer isn't it (laughs) (laughs) Saying Barks has bite, Johnny. Uh, yeah, they in the future the drugs we have now will no longer exist. We will have future drugs, right? Like you won't get addicted to to heroin. You'll get addicted to baca, yeah. right? And baca, nobody gets unaddicted to baca as opposed to potato chips. Uh, except for should... yeah, except for Rebecca Ferguson who who manages to kick the habit. So, like, even the times when the speeches are relevant to the story, they're wrong. It doesn't make any sense. No, I don't want to just complain. There's, but yeah, there's a minor character named Saint Joe who yes. keeps a who keeps a fish tank with piranhas in it, or electric eels, or like really yes. threatening fish that keep super swimming, threatening fish swim, of an unclear nature swimming past the lens. And yeah. when they tries to drown Hugh Jackman in this, the fish do nothing <laughs> they do f all they swim around they swim around and uh <laughs> and when when uh his assistant watts shows up to uh to rescue him and shoots the uh shoots the um the fish tank so that the fish you know, spill out on the floor. The water spills out on the floor. Water pent up spilling out on the floor. Climate yeah. crisis symbolism, right? The this minor character uh, looks at the wreckage and channels um, Kevin Costner in Waterworld, and who says, "My boat, 
when his boat is blown up and he says, my tank. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, this, this movie, this movie, Pete happens on, happens on this level. Everyone gets a Russian novel except the actual story. Yeah. It's funny because I mean, I don't want to let this pass entirely without mentioning that we are on the verge of a very major flooding catastrophe situation in the United States, like potentially, right? With yeah. Hurricane Ida showing up. Yes. So like, I don't want to make light of floods at all, right? Uh, they are scary no, it just and seems, all get out and yeah, exactly. super dangerous. It's the movie that, that does that. It's, it just seems like, oh, this is a, this is, this is part, this, you know, open your eyes, sheeple. You know, follow the money. <laughs> follow, what money? This made no money. <laughs> follow, follow the money that people aren't paying to this. This is part of the campaign to normalize, uh, to normalize global warming and make the the <laughs> catastrophic flooding of cities seem like just a minor inconvenience. That, like a that cool thing that cool people do, right? Like, like yeah, because like, we have you know because we have songs from the '30s and like yeah. uh, we have speakeasies again, you know. Yeah, so like, yeah. bring on that, bring on that sea level rise no uh, uh, many of the skyscrapers would not stand because their foundations would be eroded out by being constantly under they're not meant to be constantly underwater yeah. it's uh you know it's not a uh, not great i'm sorry pete you're, you're no, there's the one point there's one point in the movie where they take like a, a romantic canoe ride next to a whole bunch of old street lights and it's like did somebody take out the wiring like is there are they still connected to power like the city still has electricity. Is there just like a whole bunch of old electrical stuff in this place where people go leisure canoeing and they're just not bothering to deal with it? I mean, and again, very minor consideration relative to the movie. But it's one of those things where it's like I love it when a movie says I'm going to go somewhere. It's going to be crazy. Come on with me. It'll be at least a little bit worth it. Right. And it's like, OK, I'm the kind of viewer who's I'm going to go with you. Right. All yeah. right. Great. We're in the sort of we're in the the watery canyons of post-apocalyptic Miami. Great. Like, where's the Cubano sandwiches? Right. Like, you know, where's the like demolition man society of like Caribbean refugees who are illegal in the country and kind of like part of the Miami underground? Where's like the hip hop scene? Right. Where's that one Lamborghini that somebody saved from the strip? Right. Like, where's all the relics? What's what's the deal? What does Miami underwater look like? That's a cool concept, right? And this movie, the movie, uh, the movie's idea of, I guess I would say that there's a huge problem of kind of simulacrum in influence in this movie because it is imitating other movies that are also about dystopian futures, which are pulling their in-universe world building from things that might be characteristic of the places and periods that they are talking about, Mm. but aren't characteristic of Miami, Mm -hmm. right? So like like Blade Runner is about Los Angeles, right? And so like the idea of these sort of like vast open car commutes where you're totally alone talking to yourself and there's all these giant billboards around you kind of like is is sort of a supposed to be kind of a Los Angeles at night experience. Right. Right. Like, like him sort of driving through and then there's supposed to be the whole influence of the, the Asian community there and like the bicycles and the style of like East Asia in the eighties. Right. And early before the, the development came through. And it's like there's all these little things about Blade Runner. And yes, there are de- parts of Blade Runner that are pulled from the 30s and 40s and they're remixed with kind of 70s stuff. Right. Uh, and, and made into sort of neo future classical retro, you know, blender type stuff. 
but again, that was only that was only 30 years ago at the time. Sure. Right. Um, or, or like, uh, gosh, and I'm trying to I'm trying to think about other situations, but it's like th- this movie could have taken place and should have taken place in Tampa. Is what I'm saying. Like, like, <laughs> like the Thomas Jane Punisher movie, where it's just like it opens up. It's Thomas Jane the Punisher, right? It's the third best Punisher movie. Get ready, buckle up, right? <laughs> and uh, and it's a shot of a city on the water, and at the bottom it just says Tampa, Florida, right? And you're like, all right, it's in Tampa, solid, right? Like uh, Tampa's a place you can go. I bet you they have an Outback Steakhouse, right? Like that's uh, that's. Um, you know, great, awesome. You know, uh, and there's a great Onion article uh, uh, that I that I mean, I love it. I don't know if other people love it, which is to the effect of like uh, purists are concerned because the next James Bond movie is scheduled to happen only entirely within New Hampshire, uh. right? And it's like they go to exotic places, like the Franklin Pierce Museum, right? But this idea that like a movie has a place, right? I guess Chinatown is the other big movie that this is influenced by because it's about water and the control of water by wealthy people relative to poor people. And so it kind of borrows some plot elements and kind of feel from Chinatown and its antecedents about the sort of management of water in Los Angeles, which was a different sort of historical problem. And I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think that the like issue of water management in Miami and global warming feels all that much like the management of water in Los Angeles in like what the fifties when the, was it the when was the LA river? I don't know when all this stuff happened. Right. But, um, but you get what I'm saying, forget, right? It's like, forget it, Pete. It's Miami town. Right. Exactly. Forget it. It's Miami. It's, town. it's Cuba what does town. That mean? Right. Exactly. Like it, what I, I, I would have loved the idea of like, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I've uh, I've locked my like I met this I met this girl at a club and I and she sang this song that I hadn't heard since before the war and it just stirred something within me this <laughs> this sense of hope and who I was right and it just went uh, you know despacito <laughs> I don't know any of the words that just uh, goes I thought, despacito I thought you were going to go with gasolina oh gasolina gasolina but yeah it's like uh, yeah they just and then she just busted right into some Michael Bublé and it just knocked my socks off. Uh, she sang, she sang, uh, she sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing from the Josh Groban Noel album. I don't even know. Like, it's, it's just, what's well, the thing? I guess I, there are, this is one of those movies where I watch it and I yearn for like what the, what the better movie would she sang, be. She, she sang The Prayer from, from, uh, you know, Pray will be our, uh, from uh, uh, Clay Aiken's uh, devotional record that you <laughs> I just like, I mean, any of that would make more sense than singing this Rogers and Hart song from 1937, sure. which of course, you know, it's, it matters to the plot sort of, but it's like, but I get, even if it's something like, you know, she's going for distance, she's going for speed. It's like, <laughs> really, I think the best terrible movies present you with just a whiff that gets you searching in your heart for the movie they could have been right. Like those are the ones that really get me going. Like RAPD was a big one like this, right? This it's like, though, oh I man, mean, Pete, does that, does that, um, does that happen for you with this movie? Cause I feel like there was, I, I feel like there was a decent movie buried, buried in this. Like yeah. I'm, I'm down for, uh, I'm down for like a, a near, near future kind of post-apocalyptic noir detective story you know i'm actually i'm down for a detective story i feel like these these 
these film, you know, these films, Pete, these films today, I feel like we get, uh, maybe it's just what we watch, but like, I feel like we get a lot of F9 and Black Widow. I feel like we get a lot of like superhero missions. And I, I do, you know, I'm, I'm down for, uh, for, you know, I don't know, someone, someone moving through the, the shady underworld, you know, yeah. and kind of from a position of, from a position of maybe like less authority and power, you know, right. and like, like trying to, trying to get these, uh, these things done. But like the thing, the thing about it, like the thing about Humphrey Bogart, like is that he, he was fun to watch. You know, yeah, it was true. like, he, you enjoyed, like, you know, I was thinking even like, even pastiches of, of this kind of like hard boiled detective um sort of thing they're fun you know they have a yeah. they have a rhythm at least yeah. you know they have like uh they have a pattern that that just like ah she you know she was a tall drink of water poured into a three ounce glass she <laughs> walked in on legs that went all the way, way up. to the floor <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that went between her hip joints and her ankle joints on the floor and she yeah. crossed them and said to me i'm looking for a private dick and that like this is you know the already we're laughing like this is this is fun you know this is yeah. uh this is gonna this is this is exciting and could be could be a good thing i just i i don't know there there was uh i, I think it's time to bring up again the idea that uh the idea that our our teacher our mutual teacher john hollander said that the the proper opposition is not between uh funny and and serious uh, right. The the proper opposition is between funny and s- solemn, which yeah. are both which both uh, describe tone and yeah. uh, serious and frivolous, which both describe stakes. And a, right. a, a lot that goes on in this movie seems frivolous and very solemn. You know. Yes. And. Yes. Uh, and the at at their best, a lot of the you know at their best, like just to to pull an example out of out of nowhere, but like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is funny and very serious, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and yet in tone is uh, is very funny and you know manages to yeah manages to not not take it take its material seriously, but but not take itself seriously. Speaking of taking itself seriously, Pete, um, what are your thoughts? about this film as a retelling of the classic Greek myth of Orpheus <laughs> and Eurydice. Okay. Eurydice. Eurydice. It's from the ecclesiastical Latin where the story is originally from, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so like, I, I, will, I will answer your question, but I want to back up to let one me, other let thing. Me act, let, let me ask it in a slightly different way, which is name five better film adaptations <laughs> of Orpheus and Eurydice. But yes, uh, yeah. yeah, back it up. Back oh it gosh, up. what are some better ones? Man, oh, uh, yeah, man I, I was just, I remember, I remember. The Beastmaster? No, I, I, I just, Pete, I, I uh, like it was from my childhood. I, you know, I, when I reminisce, I feel melancholy and I, I say to myself, you're a fine mf Won't you back that ass up? <laughs> So, okay. So I want to say, I want to put a fork down in the road, right? Uh-huh. Because I want to, and I just, I just think fork. back, I think back and I think another turning point, a fork stuck in the <laughs> road. Look, Matt, 
I fell in love with a girl at the rock show. She said what? And I told her I didn't know. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to sneak it through her window. Um, you know, here here's a, a song that does what this movie is doing in, what, three minutes better than the entirety of this movie is Ocean Avenue by Yellow Cart. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? There's a place called Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and talk with you, right? Like, uh if I could find you now, things would be better. Right. Um, I mean, that, that, and that I get, I get feels from that, but okay. To put my, we, to put we my could force- leave town. We could leave this town and run forever. Let your waves crash down on me. Yes. That from- should have been the song. It should have been about ocean Avenue. It should have been called ocean Avenue. The whole movie. Call, the whole call movie. the movie ocean. So Avenue. I want to, I want to put a fork in the road here. Right. And I want to say one way to kind of regard the feeling of absence we have in watching this movie is that its theme of nostalgia isn't being addressed by its subject matter in a credible way, mm. in a way that feels uh, authentic to anyone's experience. Right. Right. Like it's just it's all taken from other movies. It's all sort of copped from noir playbooks. And it's very kind of simulacra simulacrum at this point. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. You could take this movie and update all of the nostalgia and make it about stuff that was actually nostalgic. And then it would be a very different movie. But I'm going to put that off to the side and say that the other deal with this movie is like, okay, the premise is basically for a television show, right? Mm. It's like, this is like the leftovers level premise, right? It's like very complicated premise and they're trying to make one movie about it and they can't tell one story about it, right? So what would you do to make this into a satisfying detective story? And I would say, okay, I think Orpheus and Eurydice is one place to start, right? So, well, I mean, the obvious first place to start, right? Is you cut the freaking monologues. They are gone, right? You need to cut like three quarters of the voiceover out of this movie and you need to replace it with scenes that show you things that are happening. Right. Um, And if you do this, you could add a whole bunch of different twists and different characters in different moments uh, that would potentially add complexity to what's going on. Right. Like that. I remember I remember cutting voiceover out of a movie. We went in with a pickaxe. I can't even can't even look at a waveform at an audio waveform again. (laughs) <laughs> we, we silenced more voiceover than than uh, than Ridley Scott and the director's cut of Blade Runner. Well, I mean, the one way I described one way I described this movie to you is somebody watched the theatrical cut of Blade Runner yeah. and the director's cut of Blade Runner right. and was like, "That first one was great. Let's yeah. do that. <laughs> let's uh, right? let's go. Let's yeah, double let's down. Go with that. More voiceover, less." Less silence, right? Don't never let it be quiet. Less, yeah. Um, less ambiguity. More, you know. More yeah. uh, like d- detailed explanation of every <laughs> last little thing. Yeah, I, I will say the one line that I kept saying to myself that always made me laugh while I was watching this movie was uh, was uh, just we all have to. It's it's about time that we all ask ourselves. Does Christopher Nolan's brother's wife have a woman problem? <laughs> <laughs> and like, and I say that because, like, obviously, part of the joke is, you know, she has a name; it's Joy, right? Uh, so, like, that is that is a problem in itself. But also that um, Orpheus and Eurydice, right? An important part of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice is some sort of portrayal of their idyllic time together before she died, right? Like, I feel like. You need to have their moment of splendor in the grass and glory in the flower, right? Where he's a beautiful singer and she's and they're both young and they're together and they're terribly in love. This is what this is what R.I.P.D. did so well. 
Yeah, that actually was the thing that RIPD did really well. Yeah, exactly. Which Deadpool then, you know, carried forward, you know, with Ryan Reynolds carrying that torch. Uh, from from film to film. But like, you know, the story is you're going to see she gets bit by a snake, right? Because they're out in the field, uh, you know, like you do. And so it, you have somebody who is lost in this movie, the, the main femme fatale. They never have a good, I mean, I guess they have sort of a good time. This might be a product of the narrative and the sort of order in which things are presented, but the, or the way that they sort of go on dates doesn't really feel fun enough. Right. I mean, OK, here's the thing. Here's an idea. Right. This is a movie in which she is a singer. Right. And she is caught. She's a professional singer. This is she's, I think, a cocktail waitress stripper, sort of. It's sort of implied at times, but bartender. Right. A vamp show performer of some kind. But she sings. She's a cabaret singer. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, your male lead is Hugh freaking Jackman. Right. He doesn't have to be Wolverine in this movie. Let Hugh Jackman sing. Right. Sure. Right. Like so like. That's that's part of it is that like uh, this is a movie that's supposed to have music going on. I'm looking for if the you're thread not, I to mean, I, I'm not everybody may be familiar with this, but Hugh Jackman is one of the great musical theater performers of his generation. <laughs> yeah. Like he's dynamic. He's charismatic. For goodness sake, he's going to do the music man with Sutton Foster next year. You know, right, like right, that's right, yeah. like he's he's that level. He's the music he's the man level. Of he, a, yeah, he <laughs> sure. <laughs> but but just like, OK, if I were really to try to simplify and pare down the movie, what you need to do, I think, is find some other thing other than just the abstract notion of thinking about the past and like eating outside. Right. Like something that they do together <laughs> that you can anchor their relationship on visually that that communicates that they had something special. Right. Other than just that she's skinny and wearing and is like very well lit and wearing a fancy cocktail dress. Right. Like and that he's, you know, looking really painful whenever she's walking around. Like what's the what is the thing that is lost that he keeps wanting to go back to? Like him being at work and her showing up looking for her keys. That's not particularly special. You would. Here's another thing. You would think that by that age, Hugh Jackman, you know, his character would be over that kind of thing. Like for, I mean, I know when Humphrey Bogart well, this does is it, what, this like, is what, this is exactly the thing, right? These beats have to be earned because that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that happens, right? The grizzled old, you know, the grizzled old private eye has his heart pierced by love when he least expected it. But you, uh, it's got to be handled in a way that resembles human experience in at least some crucial respects. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And that's like, that's what, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of what it's missing. And like, that's right. It's uh, the stakes are at, the stakes are at like, oh, are the, the stakes power level are over 9,000, you know, yes. but, uh, but there's no, there's no sense that it's earned and and the way the way that you earn it is make is make it uh, it's it reminds me Pete you know it reminds me of uh of going to UCB's improv 201 class where they they introduce the idea of like the herald you know right right, um and like how a, a a second or third beat raises the stakes and uh and you know when you return to an improv scene you know in some in some altered capacity like you've raised the stakes somehow and the the very smart <laughs> uh teacher of of this class um said for god's sake don't 
don't do the scene again, but in the White House. Right, you know, right, right. Don't yeah. don't like don't just superficially like the idea of stakes. The 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 idea the idea of stakes like the the, the kind of the superficial idea is that like oh this this would be accompanied by pounding music you know right. Um, but that's that's not it. It's that it's it's how do you care more? Who cares more? Or how do you make the audience care more? And that's what. You know, that's what, uh, this is, that's what this is sort of lacking, right? Like, uh, you, which, what you're saying, Pete, like, cuts two ways, I think, like, in that, like, you have to have their relationship. You have to have a sense that the relationship was good and important and, and wasn't just the idea of a relationship, right? With like Tanti Wayne Newton saying, like, uh, you, you are, uh, you know, you're losing your edge. You're losing your edge, Jackman. You know, that like, (laughs) come on, come on, Wolverine, get those adamantium claws out and sharpen them a little bit, right? Like they're, (laughs) they're dulling down that. No, like that's, that's not you, 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 it has to happen for real and you have to sort of believe in it and, and you have to care, care about it. This, this would do two things. One, um, is I think what you, what you said, it would anchor the story in something that is sort of human and believable, right? Like it, would give it a focus um and and the other thing is that like it would make you care you know it would make you um it, it would make you care more it would make you give a poop about these people and like and uh and what happens to them like yeah. i you know the the loss i was saddest for uh was those was those you know threatening mf and fish right that who just <laughs> flopped out on the ground you know who who's who's singing their story you know who's right. who's saying who's letting them come back uh, from the underworld. So Eurydice gets bitten by a snake. Snake. She gets bitten by a stake. She gets bitten by the stakes. Yeah. The stakes of the story. And yeah. she uh, she goes down to the underworld. Orpheus uh, can't help but look back when when they're and he's he's gone. Orpheus forever. goes down into the underworld and plays his harp so beautifully that he moves uh, either was it Midas or Hades, one one of the people down there, to release her, contingent that he not look back. Right. That that uh, he walk all the way back up to the yeah. to the world. Like, um, up the steep trail, you know, the single track. And like, that's hard on the switchbacks, Pete, because you got to always look uphill on the switchback. Like you might be tempted to look back the way you came. No, don't do it. Don't even look forward on the switchbacks when you're traversing the mountain laterally, you know, you got to look up. You always got to be looking up towards the top of the mountain and you can't look back. And and then he gets uh, scared at the last minute. Look down, look down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He gets scared the last minute and then she flies back to the underworld. Um, Except, uh, except that we get spring now, you know, we get like, uh, he, she, she comes back and, and decorates the trees with flowers and, and stuff once a year. She comes back and, and decorates yeah. the trees, the trees with flowers. So, so okay, this is completely disconnected from from anything. Like this is not even followed schematically, you know. Like because the looking back is not a bad thing. It's what allows him to solve her murder, you know, or right. I, her actual, I guess, like uh, uh, sort of murder. She she ends up killing herself so that the secret of where the the mystery child is dies where the chosen one is hidden dies with her you know so they can go get go get the chosen one um so the chosen one whose superpower is the potential to inherit land 
uh-huh. right? Like, which I guess he would, he's a child. What, why would you expect him to do anything different anyway? Never mind. And why, um, why, what, what, yeah, exactly. And like, what, like, why, why does it matter that this, that this estate is probated correctly? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, okay. Another thing you could do with this movie is you could make the kid a character in the movie, right? Because the kid's not a character in the movie. Sure. There's no children in this movie. You have, this is a, then yeah. you have essentially Looper. Right. Yeah. Like uh, the kid. And then uh, <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh, oh, never mind. But like, OK, so one of the big problems with movies like this is they vastly in terms of world building, I tend to think is they vastly underestimate the coping and plasticity capabilities of young minds. Right. That like people born into the world figure out ways to get by. And people born into crazy, absurd worlds are going to find crazy, absurd ways to get by. Yeah, you know, people what we would expect for that, people right? born into a, born into a sane world who end up living in a crazy, absurd world adapt to the crazy, absurd yeah. world. Right, you know, right. and and don't just don't always grumble about you know when uh, uh, when when I could get a decent Cubano sandwich in uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Wait, the streets like, of Miami because because the idea is this is a movie about looking backward because one of the other movies that you would think that it has something to do with is Children of Men because that's also a sort of achingly nostalgic movie about the past being the future being taken away from middle aged people right in the form of children and so. Uh, but they, but they, cause, and the goal of this movie is to save this kid, but you only find this out two thirds of the way through the movie. The kid is not a character in the movie up until this point. Right. And so like, there's no, there's no sense. Of course, you know, would the movie really have been better if there was a child running around? Heck, why not have him sing, right? Have him, have him sing with Hugh Jackman. How about have him be like a Moppet orphan, right? Who lives on the streets and Hugh Jackman takes him in, right? And ta- I'm going to, I've been calling her Tandy Newton. I, I found out that's her old stage name and she's updated it. So I will call her Tandy Way Newton. I apologize. Um, and Tandy Way, oh, they take him in. Oh, it's like that might be something that he has a conversation with her about her estrangement from her daughter. And that kind of convinces her that maybe she should give it another shot. Like, I like the idea of young people giving old people a new way of looking at the world uh, as a way of kind of cracking this kind of story. Um, and uh, at least in terms of giving it, it maybe not a happy ending, right? But an, but an ending, right? That's in the middle. Um, but yeah, like you could, so, okay, okay. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to get so totally off base that nobody can follow what we're talking about. The femme fatale in this movie, I joked that she's sort of a Christopher Nolan character, right? In that she is a woman who is a problem, right? And like, she is a problem for the male protagonist and uh, she's dead, right? And, and, but she's beautiful, but she's dying, right? This is, what what am I quoting here? This is, uh, uh, oh, this is um, the Bob Odenkirk, I wish you would leave sketch about the classic cars, Uh. right? Have you seen that? No. Where it's like, uh, it's great. It's, I'll describe it briefly because why not? Um, it's about <laughs> nostalgia. It's actually another better telling of this plot, right? Is that like um, the, the main guy is, is trying to tell his daughter that he, they're not going to get ice cream at this diner because it's cold outside and the ice cream machines don't work when it's cold. He's lying to his daughter to try to tell her that they can't get ice cream, right? And he kind of looks next to the table next to him and winks so that the guy at the table next to him like backs him up in his story. And he's like, oh yeah, it's way too cold. The ice cream machine's all frozen up. Sorry, you can't get ice cream here, right? But then the guy starts adding things and he's like, you know, your dad knows me very well, you know, and he knows that I have all the classic cars, 
Right. <laughs> and he goes on, right? I'm not gonna do the whole sketch, but it's like and he's and I got a beautiful wife, right? I tell her I have a wife, right? If that's not true, none of the other stuff is true, right? She's beautiful, but she's dying. But she'll get better. She gets better, right? She's gonna get better, right? And it's like um I just it it's funny because it's uh it's sort of what's happening in this movie. Uh in reminiscence. There's this beautiful woman who dies, and this there's a ongoing, as with everything else in this movie, voiceover monologue relationship where it's like, you don't really know who I am. You just think that I fit the picture that fits in your head of like what you want, right? Which is a fair criticism of this character, but not from the standpoint of anybody in this movie because the movie doesn't really offer anything that's more interesting, right? Like she shows up and she's a mysterious femme fatale, uh, right, who has an agenda that's unclear, then she becomes like a one-dimensional drug addict crime mall. Then she becomes a one-dimensional surrogate mother, save the baby, run from the bad guy person, right? She like goes through three different equally stupid archetypes. Well, let me rephrase that, equally shallow archetypes. And we don't, the fact that this character fits equally into each of these is a suggestion that she's a cipher, right? Which is sort of the point. Um, which it, but even though the movie argues against this and argues for, you know, out loud, lampshading the idea of what this woman is, but being like, oh, you know, you really should know somebody before you fall in love with them forever and ever, right? You should know them for more than a couple of months. You know, you should have some sort of idea of who they are other than that they're pretty and they fill some sort of void that you have going on with you, right? Um, so, so, yeah, so the transition, the story turns on the transition of that character from being a crime under boss person like a sort of you know an individual contributor but a, but a high but a high quality one in the crime world right um, who is part of this sort of scheme involving probate and inheritance of land uh which is straight out of philip marlowe and uh and her turning into a protective mother figure when a child is threatened right um that's right it's just it's it's like, what do you, what do we need in order to feel nostalgic about that? What do we need in order for that to feel not like total BS? Probably for it to not happen. Probably for it to be the Tandy Newton, Tandy Way Newton character, not. But it needs to know. be. It needs to like. It needs to be her kid, or she needs to have like a lost a child. You know what I mean? Like there's some sort of reason re- relationship between her and the child, or her and the idea of the child that like just doesn't other other than like uh you know yeah other than the completely schematic. Like this is a ruthless operator who steals, you know, millions of dollars worth of drugs from a crime boss in his own lair. And then when she's confronting the like weird mid-level thug who ends up sort of being the big boss of this movie, like I think says to him, like, my boyfriend's going to kill you and like stabs him and runs away. Right. Like it's just it's it's. Well, I I mean, Pete, to be fair, she is speaking through his memory. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is it? Oh, that's because he she wants him to stay alive because she knows Hugh Jackman's going to catch him, and then Hugh Jackman's going to put him in the vat so that Hugh Jackman can read his mind, and by reading his mind, find out where the boy is, which is at Key West, right at Ernest Hemingway's house or whatever at Key West. 
right. um, which has survived for some reason. Uh, well, I mean, you know, whatever that, that 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 is not the least believable that there's a sort of like single house that's managed to survive and provides a refuge in the middle of the ocean. I'm willing to accept that level of romance in this kind of movie. Um, it's it's more the sort of like, you know, uh, canoeing for leisure past like an open electrical socket, which is like, well, really? you couldn't have just taken that light out. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm just rambling. I'm just rambling because this movie just sent me on such a such a wild journey. But like, oh, I guess I guess I should put a second fork down and say there's a third road that this could have gone down. Right. Uh-huh. Which was be to make it a hard sci fi total recall esque story about like you don't know what's real, uh-huh. which it isn't. Right. Uh, like I'm just no, double checking. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. that. I didn't miss that. It was. It's not like Tenet, and I just didn't miss it because I I just wasn't paying attention. It's like no, there really is no point in this movie in which it's really all that surprising what level of reality you're operating under. No, it's it's right? it's all yeah. They they do a couple of things. Um, they do a couple of things where you think it's going to be that, but it it turns out not to be that. It turns out they're just eli- They're just alighting things to save time. You know, they're yes, just alighting yes, yes. the you know rather than save time rather- for more monologues and off and the voiceovers. Matt, do you know that every moment in history is like a beat on a necklace? We've been listening to a podcast. It's a <laughs> podcast that we've listened to before. You're going to follow my voice deep into the podcast to a time and a place where you know you've been. You know, this movie really bombed. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a little housekeeping. A little housekeeping before before we wrap up, wrap up. Um we've been kind of talking and talking and talking for a little bit uh uh internally and overthinking it like, hey, should we get a Discord? Should we, you know, should we have a Discord? Should we get a Discord? And uh, you know, it seems it seems like what people are doing today to uh keep their communities going. I mean, blog comments, I know we always and yeah, I love the blog comments comments I, I i don't know there's something about it there's there's an orderliness to the threaded discussion that i find really attractive um but like it for sure it it's no longer the dominant mode of of discourse on the internet i mean wouldn't you say pete you were you're a real forum you were a real uh, lord of the <laughs> lord of the boards back in the day you know yeah. so uh you, you agree that it's we really moved beyond that right even the surviving message boards have discords now i think <laughs> yeah. and and there wasn't a single one in the film reminiscence not a single no. discord um but the uh you know uh we were gonna do it but then our uh our uh stalwart member Catherine marino who uh uh who created the wonderful crocheted uh otis uh christmas ornaments for us uh a few years ago um just went and did it for us yeah. <laughs> so um we're uh, we're going to start with members with people who uh, the heroes who support overthinking it by uh give, giving us a little scratch um the uh by by giving us the baka uh the wait, what was the name of the drug the, is it baka i think it's baka right barks ba- 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 by giving us the barks barks says bite um yep. That uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with the members um and uh get the get the community going a little bit and then uh open it up gradually from there. So if you are a, a member, check your check your email. Um, in your uh, members' email is gonna be a uh, is gonna be an invite for this uh for this um this new Discord. We hope to to welcome everyone to that soon that's the little that's the little bit of housekeeping that's why we can't do the uh that's why we can't do the outro in the in the in the way of the 
in the way of the intro. But uh, thanks for that. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Pete, for for podcasting. For thanks for watching Reminiscence, Pete. Thanks oh, yeah. for Thanks for going into this so gamely. Uh, it was, uh, it was a pleasure to do. Yeah. All right. We'll be back. We'll be back next week with uh, more. Oh, and, and Hey, uh, members also, we, uh, we recorded a, we recorded a reminiscence themed question of the week, which you can find in your members area, uh, on the site. So go, go check that out because we have a lot of fun doing it. (laughs) Um, cool. All right. We will be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subtract the popular culture. To a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. He doesn't even have any photographs or any of his family members. He doesn't he doesn't remember or talk about anything that happened other than his military service prior to like three months ago. Did did the word right, destroy like, the cloud, Hugh Jackman? Did the <laughs> word, <laughs> there's still the cloud. There's the gram. Yeah, he's not on it, you know, because of his ex. <laughs>